Hello and welcome to today's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. Now this is the latest in our BossCast series where we bring on some of the biggest brains in real estate and some of the best looking ones as well to tell us about their lives, their businesses and some of the challenges they're facing. And it's an absolute privilege to have Robert Evans and to have Nick Searle, who are joint managing partners of Argent and partners at Argent Related with us today. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you for, for making the time. Thank you for coming to see us in Bloomsbury today. Good to be here. Um, Thank you. So, Robert Evans, let, let's start with you. What I'd like is a little bit of personal colour. How did you how did you get into this? How did you get into real estate? And, and what, what are some of the things that, that, have, that have really engaged and, and fascinated you over the years? Uh, well, I was, I was a geographer uh, by, by degree training at Reading University. And I, uh, I actually went into planning and environmental consultancy originally, spent many years doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things with um, Heathrow Terminal 5, public inquiry and flood schemes in Maidenhead and Windsor and loads of it worked for the Ministry of Defence actually doing uh, strange and interesting things in, uh, in, in the UK on lots of the training areas like Salisbury Plain and Otterburn but also quite fascinating places in Canada and, uh, and Norway and other uh, more remote places. Um, and towards the end of my time as a planning and environmental consultant came across this uh, weird client called Argent who was uh, who owned Brindley Place and uh, were developing Brindley Place, and uh, uh, also had an emerging project. So they hoped uh, called London International Freight Exchange um, near uh, near Heathrow along the A4, and uh, I started to work on that. And sadly, that project never came to fruition. Um, it didn't uh, ultimately succeed through its planning process. It's the only project I've ever worked on that didn't get didn't get planning. And uh, but fortunately, we only found this out after I'd joined Argent. Because um, uh, <laughs> along that journey, I got, um, I got very drunk with Roger Madeline and uh, somehow agreed to join Argent. <laughs> I think I was on a car ferry at the time. And uh, coming back from a restaurant in Boulogne, I think, called L'Argent, which was chosen purely for the name, from memory, because I recall the food being really bad. And uh, to get over it, I think we had too many Guinnesses on the the ferry back but anyway, that's how I remember it and um yeah the rest is kind of kind of history I mean I was just struck by how frankly how different Argent were from every other real estate uh development client particularly I suppose house builders that I met when I was a you know in my previous job in a planning environmental consultant they just thought very differently they spoke very differently they focused on on different things um as Nick was saying about the public realm and and the place and so on. And I was just fascinated by that. And I was just fascinated by that, that if you like, larger fish pond, that wider set of skills and thinking that, um, that I just thought was, was, was fascinating. And when I got the opportunity to, to join Argent, it was because we were in the running to be the King's Cross developer. It hadn't been, we were still in competition with others. And, um, you know, the, the chance to, to, uh, to join and to be part of something um, doing something like Brindley Place or, or indeed King's Cross was just mm. was really really compelling. I remember visiting King's Cross and I was just it was really pretty scary as an opportunity and a challenge. It was so big and there was so much challenge. I, I was you know actually quite intimidated by uh, the scale of the the challenge. But my 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 colleagues at the time were less intimidated. They seemed very uh, very very chipper with it. So mm. uh, I was uh, uh, happy to go along with that. And, and Nick Searle, tell us a bit about your backstory. How did how did you come to be? So I, um, my father was an architect. 
I didn't want to be one. Um, ended up actually for a very short period of my life working on a building site as a hod carrier. Thought I quite like this making stuff and um, decided to go and study architecture as well. So I qualified in 1989 and by 1991 uh, there was 45% unemployment in UK architects. So my timing wasn't very good. And I actually went to Bangkok. I went and worked in Bangkok for five years, which was an extraordinary experience. We built some quite terrible large-scale developments. Um, and then there was another crisis there. So I felt like the crisis, these crises were kind of chasing me around the world. Um, came back and I ended up, um, after a couple of years, working for Chelsfield. Uh, and I worked on Paddington Basin for about six years um, with what became European land. Uh, and then in 2007, um, I met David Partridge and Roger Madeline. Um, was interviewed by uh, Mr. Robert Evans, who's sitting next to me, and uh, I joined. And again, the reason I joined was this... How was the interview? Uh, the interview was quite tough, actually, as I remember. <laughs> so I Guinness, wasn't sure I got the Guinness job. Involved with there was no well. Guinness involved in that one, I can tell you. Things had obviously got more professional by then. <laughs> they had, obviously. I mean, we were still only, what, 40 people at the time. But the, 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 the difference, it was so refreshing. Um, I come from working with on developments, which were just closed shops, frankly. Um, and suddenly there was this openness, there was this willingness to engage and talk to anybody and listen. And it doesn't mean you're going to do everything that everybody asks you to do, but there's a willingness to just kind of be part of a wider community and listen and, and, and engage on that front. And that was just, as I say, it was just so refreshing. And it's, you know, if, if you can't be excited as, a, as an employee working on a project like King's Cross you know, in this industry, you shouldn't be in the industry. Mm. It's been the best, that, that was, you know, the best 10 years of my professional life. Even though the first building you worked on, we never built. We never built, but never mind. Never <laughs> well, mind never about mind. that. But I mean, that, interesting, but, but really interesting to, to, you know, to think about that, that wider community. So, I mean, let, let's get straight into it. So, so Robert Evans, tell us a little bit about how, how things have been going at, at King's Cross over the last 18 months, obviously you've got a blend of different occupiers there and it's been a bit of a tough time for everybody, but tell us a little bit about what's been happening. Oh, well, there's, <laughs> there's loads happening there. Um, and actually it's been, you know, of course it was a really tough period during the, um, the pandemic. Of course, uh, lots of people were um, moved out to their offices and of course so that presented challenges for retailers, many of whom of course had to close and so on. But actually one of the things that's come out of that is we've had to work very closely with our occupiers as others have. Um, and actually those relationships have, in most cases, become strengthened, I think, as a result of all this. And um, we've, you know, we've improved the sense of partnership, I think, across the estate with many of those occupiers. And, um, you know, we've, we've actually focused even more on what makes King's Cross different and special and thought really hard about the public realm and made some changes and what we can improve to Cold Drops Yard and elsewhere. So, mm. I mean, the, the, the main thing is the team have had to work incredibly hard. It's been a really, really busy period. But um, I think King's Cross looks great today. There's loads going on. We've got Cubit sessions at the moment in uh, uh, in, uh, in Cubit Square. There's, the, the estate looks fantastic. We've, uh, um, lo there's loads of people coming to King's Cross every day. It looks mm. and feels pretty busy. Not perhaps as busy as it was before, but, uh, you know, it looks great. And I think and it's it, come out of it really well. And, and in terms of the, the trajectory, is, is it... Is it everything you, you hoped it would be, Robert? Uh, I, think, I think it's better. I think one of the things that's yeah. remarkable about King's Cross is that if you go right back to the documents that you know, I, I helped write in 2001 and 2002 and 3 and 4 as part of that early sort of master planning and 
uh, and planning process. I think the remarkable thing about King's Cross is that the project and the place is even better than we dared hope. Mm. I think what's what's often the case in major projects is that circumstances and events, you know, lead to certain compromises. And, and, and I think what's happened at King's Cross is that... Well, you've event, had two, events, two recessions and a Brexit. We so, have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have, but events have, events have, 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 uh, have also meant that, you know, we got... Uh, it's a fantastic start with the University of the Arts. There's been other hmm. great bit, slices of luck and judgment along the way and yeah. real tenacious effort. And, and, and Nick, you know, I think let's, let's I bring think in Nick. I'm, I'm just, just so, and also just so listeners can tell, tell the voices apart. That, that's Robert Evans and this is, <laughs> this is Nick Sell. Um, obviously, I'm Andrew Teacher. Don't, you're not going to confuse me with these guys. Um, but, but, but Nick, I, I'm interested to see how how King's Cross and, and the work there, how that frames what you're doing now. Because what people want to know is what's next, right? Everyone's walked around King's Cross. Everyone's enjoyed splashing around in the fountains <laughs> and, and pretending that, that, that they got rained on. Uh, and, and, and lots of people have seen Cold Drops Yard emerge and, and, and enjoyed all of the, the interesting and fascinating stuff that, that's come up around it. But what, what's, how is that framing what you're doing now? Well, it's, I mean, it's, Firstly, it's an extraordinary platform that's opening doors for us. You know, when we first started with King's Cross, it was very difficult to engage people. It was hard to convince, particularly commercial occupiers, that anybody was going to start thinking about coming um, north of King's Cross Station. Um, the fact that we've now got that place there and it's the success that it is today is opening doors and giving us opportunities that we frankly didn't have 12, 13 years ago when we started that project. Mm. And presumably that's also been boosted by the uh, the, the partnership we've, we've related. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we set up um, the business with Related in 2015, um, very conscious that we, uh, we had the platform of King's Cross, but we also brought then a combination of skills that we brought their skills that they demonstrated with commercial development in um, Hudson Yards in New York, uh, but also a build-to-rent skill. Um, and that was, you know, fairly nascent in its um, evolution at that point within within the, the centre. Mm. But related and to they, they've got, got a good track record in, in multifamily, haven't Absolutely they? Absolutely yeah, huge. Yeah. I mean, they've got 70,000 homes under management in, yeah, I mean, in the US. Related rentals is a really massive and impressive business. And I think, you know, one of the things that we perhaps look back on King's Cross and say perhaps a missed opportunity was perhaps we didn't look at rental housing in the earlier phases. We, ha we have now got some rental housing coming forward because mm. Argent Related is doing a, a partnership with King's Cross in one of the last phases at the Triangle site. But um, one of the things we didn't do, and perhaps, you know, we look back now and think um, that might have been something we could have done, is look at developing rental housing as part of the earlier phases of King's well, Cross. You had to get some great rents in the, in the gas we, holders. We didn't, you? Well, I think gas holders was always going to be a, probably a for sale building, but I think there are other buildings that, that could have been rental. Um, and looking at the sort of income um, aspirations of, you know, two pension funds, the major investors in King's Cross, maybe that would have been, you know, something we, we could have done. But, you know, mm. it, it wasn't right at the time in terms of... Um, uh, in terms of, you know, the sort of financial planning of the project. And, and we didn't have the skill set. And one of the things about Argent Related that is so powerful is that, is that you know, ability now to, to bring a bill to rent as a major plank of, of Tottenham, but also, but also Brent Cross. And mm. uh, that's something we're really excited about. And that also opens up 
possibility of doing you know rental housing elsewhere at other sites and perhaps also different kinds of sites not just the the massive projects like uh, like king's cross and yeah uh, i mean and tottenham's tottenham's interesting in its own right we had helen gordon on yeah. uh, on Bosscast a couple of weeks back and they've recently completed the uh, apex garden scheme in seven sisters which which is part of this massive transformation that's occurring right across northeast london and probably somewhat like King's Cross was 15, 20 years ago, a place that no one must necessarily have, have wanted to really go other than for warehouse parties. But now <laughs> it's, it has become somewhere, uh, you know, something of a, of a hub for, for freshly run housing. And certainly your work in, in Tottenham and, and, and Brent yeah. Cross. I mean, I started working on in Tottenham, actually, because where we were, it's a long time ago now, was I was invited to chair um, a landowners group, actually, that Haringey set up, um, Actually, it was one of the recommendations of Stuart Lipton's report mm. um, uh, following the, the riots that happened in, in Tottenham elsewhere. And that's how we started in Tottenham, actually. It was a role that I had in helping to move the whole discussion between Haringey and various private owners and landowners forward. It was actually partly as a result of that work that we just became more and more convinced about Tottenham Hale as a location, um, only you know 12 minutes and three or four stops up the line from King's Cross. And mm. uh, um, yeah, that sort of you know moved into actually becoming a development partner of, of of Haringey and bringing that whole sort of Tottenham Hill area together. Um, it took a long time. It, these things do take a long time. It's uh, you know the whole land assembly piece and and planning piece does does uh, is, is is a you know a long winded process in the UK. But mm. I, I'm really proud that we're doing something at Tottenham Hill, and I think um, it will be you know tremendously su- successful. It is changing so fast up there. And uh, yes, as you say, there are lots of other people part of that too. What, what's, what's interesting about Tottenham Hale is that with King's Cross and Brent Cross, we're used to being um, controlling these big projects of our own. And, and Tottenham's a bit different. We're much more working as one player amongst many mm. in moving, uh, moving that area forward. And it's a different kind of challenge and requires different skills. And the team up there led by our fellow partner, Tom Goodall, are doing an amazing job. And I think I'm looking, it's not that far off now. We might have our first completions in, yeah. in Tottenham. What is it? Um, I think October, yeah. Um, uh, and uh, mm. uh, in terms of our first sort of you know apartments to go and see, and uh, yeah, it's really exciting. Tottenham's uh, really exciting for us. So what what can people expect then from from Brent Cross Town? That's again going to be a transformational project, a new railway station yeah. connecting, obviously to King Cross, but also right down to Brighton on the yeah the good old Thames Link. Well, let's let's go let's go back to your um your earlier question about you know what Set how does King's Cross act, act as a as a platform for that? I think one of the things is it's taken away the fear. You know, we've having done something of that scale of that complexity before. We're now looking at this, and we kind of we know what you have to do to make this work. We also know that you're not master planners. It doesn't matter how much you think you are, you aren't actually in control of this. You create opportunity. Yes, you create the framework for where the buildings are going to go, and where the public spaces are going to go. But ultimately, the success of this comes as you start to partner with others and as you start to bring people in and you start to see what actually works and what doesn't. And the beauty about a long-term project like this is you actually get to be able to respond to what other people bring to your 
development and you get to then improve it as it goes along and you can kind of create feedback loops and all sorts of things so and that then that's it, it's, that r&d that, approach that, that, is quite unique isn't it yeah because, but it's it's kind of it's this it's this mix between um thinking that you want you want to be in control which is the natural developer's state and actually yeah, we talk about knowing cur- knowing that actually you have to let others in to yeah. make it truly successful. So we talk, we talk a, about curation. Challenge. Sorry, we talk about curation rather than control, if you like, because that curation challenge is about how do you work with other people? How do you have a, how do you have some guidelines or guide ropes to all this, but also be flexible enough to allow things to find their own level and and let good things emerge. Sometimes yeah. things come out of left field, and it, the, the trick is to be able to embrace them and go. Do you know what that adds to what we were going to do is better. And uh, so this that combination of uh, that's why you know we we try and focus on this balance between curation rather than control. I think one of the good things we've done at, at King's Cross and we're learning, and we'll do at Brent Cross is how you exactly that bring in other partners and recognise your own limits actually recognise where others can others can, bring, can do better just better at it than yeah. you. Like. So, so so give us an example of that. So, well, so public art would be a good reason, a, a good example. I don't think. If you let developers always choose their own public art, I'm usually. Not, not convinced it will be the most successful compared to perhaps no, working a, in partnership with a others. A very so. polite way of putting it. Oh, it? Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the whole events and, you know, how you activate public spaces, you need to bring in people who really understand that and can then themselves bring in partners and partners and partners. And that's how you start to get this mix. You know, you do, you're not going to get that by sitting in a boardroom trying to figure out what the activation should be it doesn't work so like that. you know the original street food the street food concept was developed with with curb and uh, that was it's been really successful and they're doing a lot more else now across mm. across town some lots of the early projects that were about p- place making at king's cross were partnerships with uh, all sorts of arts and culture organizations who were always going to do frankly something more interesting and challenging than perhaps a developer on their own so you know that that, that is a huge part of it and it does require a little bit of risk so back to, um, back, back to your point, you know, to, what, what, how, do, how do we then get Brent Cross off the ground and how does that work at Brent Cross? I mean, we, fundamentally, we, we were excited by it because of where it is and how well it was connected. You've talked about the Thames Link and that kind of stuff. Also, we were excited about the scale of the opportunity because it's called Brent Cross Town for a reason, because it actually has the opportunity to bring all of the components of a successful town mm. into, into that place. It's a £7 billion town centre project, yeah. isn't it? I yeah. mean, this is, we're not just talking about a few houses. No, 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 no. This is somewhere between 10 and 12 million square feet. Uh, in the end and the really there's you know people often say to us you know um you know at king's cross you had all those natural advantages didn't you you know it must have been falling like falling off a log you've got all those amazing stations you've got all those lovely old buildings you've got canals what have you got at brent cross and i kind of like well we've got a 50 acre playing field we've got a 50 acre playing field which is part of the master plan area which has a an outline planning permission for new sports facilities on it and we're looking to take that basic opportunity and really expand on that Mm. and say, how do we make the best park come playing fields in London where people are actually invited to participate in some way, whether that be in a real sport, whether it be in a game, whether it just be playing or whether it just be relaxing. How do we create the best place in London for that to happen? You know, there's great places for sport in London, but they tend to be places where you go and watch other people elite sport at Wembley and an Olympic Park and places like that. What, can we create 
the place in London where you go to participate yourself. Mm. Now, and, grassroots sport isn't something that we've particularly invested in over the last and And that's years, where we're it? really focused. So we're, we're, we're focused on traditional sports. We're focused on challenger sports. We're fo- focused on uh, social sports. How do we combine all those things? And also just how do we make it a place where you can just go and relax? You don't actually have to do any of those things to have a good time when you come. But in terms of the actual town centre curation, because it's fine to say, look, we're going to invest in grassroots sports but fundamentally most people think of brent cross as a as a you know 25 year old out of date shopping mall with a bit older than that a, it was 1976 uh, it was the first ever shopping center in the uk oh right? yeah but i mean in the sense that it's not been relevant for 25 years that's yeah. what i mean um but but t- point taken but the, the fact remains right now if you said to most people come and buy a house come and rent in brent cross yeah so what's our biggest challenge? Our biggest single challenge right now on, on, is changing that perception. Yeah, That's the biggest challenge. And, and of course, it always is with a major um, uh, regeneration type pol- uh, project yeah. on this kind of scale. Because you've got cha- to shift the nature of how people perceive a particular place. But I think you're shifting it, I think, on Brent Cross. We're shifting it from a more neutral position than we ever were on King's Cross. Which was negative. But on King's Cross, the perception was very strongly negative. People talked about drugs and crime and prostitution and other factors. And then we have had to shift that to a perception with others, but a, sh- a perception today of King's Cross of a very different place. People um, forget how tough people, it was. You know, people <laughs> now talk about the, the food and the drink and architecture and families and the fountains and all the things you mentioned. That isn't what was in the press about King's Cross when we started. So I think one of the opportunities and advantages on Brent Cross Town, which is going back to your question, actually, is that, yes, there's a perception challenge, but it's a perception challenge from a more neutral positioning, yeah. not one that you have to go, you know, go back and drag it from negative to neutral first. Um, and I think that's, you know, an, an advantage actually at Brent Cross mm. and one that we can build on. And the wider site is about three times the size. Oh yeah, it? almost it's much yeah. bigger. Yeah, yeah. huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, so where do you start then? Because again, one of the when you think about, I mean, one of the things we talk a lot about on on this series over the years is the wider ambivalence that people have to development and the reputation well, it's more problems. than ambivalence isn't it there's, well there's, yes quite. i mean we haven't managed to persuade a lot of the public yet i don't think that development is a a good thing and actually brings benefits we're still you know that's something that we perhaps as an industry haven't been mm. as good at as we should have been but the reason is though the reason for that is that when you go and see large out of town suburban developments they're crappy homes badly constructed no one really gives a shit about the place and there's nothing well, often there's we're, nothing else we're, we're coming we're coming from the opposite perspective here so you absolutely know, how, do, how do you know when you say how do we start to talk about this how do we change perceptions first thing is we don't really talk about buildings we don't talk about buildings at all we've made four pledges promises about things that we will do at this place and the first one is around the sport and play and creating that place where people can come and do that the second one is around creating a flourishing town and now the term flourishing actually has a bit of science behind it Um, and we're working at the moment with uh, University of Manchester and Bureau Happel to create a flourishing index, which actually will measure in, in terms a of driving the way, biodiversity net gain. It's it's all about it's, it's all about how do we measure over time social value, how we've improved people's lives, how we've improved Happiness. communities. It's it's kind of actually how people feel. Yeah in their lives is an important part of that. And you can describe that as happiness, but actually there's a whole load of quantitative and qualitative um, 
benchmarks that we're establishing at the moment through survey, which will then go on over many, many years, capturing feedback from people, seeing how well we're doing, seeing whether or not we're actually improving things, Mm. whether that be air quality through to, as you say, just how do people feel about themselves in that area? Um, And we'll create feedback loops because it's a long project. We can actually feed back in. We can start to improve what we're doing. Um, And if there's things where it's not going so well, we can, you know, we can shift direction. And and that is something that actually has been experienced at King's Cross. We have actually made changes along the way to the things we were going to do. That's the beauty of of a long-term project. You can, you can actually change direction and adapt things. So that, that was the second pledge. The third uh, pledge is around net zero. Um, and to be a net zero town by 2030. Um, and a huge amount of work is going into that. And we can discuss that a bit more if you want. Um, and the third one is about creating connections. And obviously there's the big connections we've already talked about, but actually the really important connections in a place like that, where you've got a large site that is bounded on three sides by major transport infrastructure, is the local connections into existing communities. So when you create this place, it's not just a place that's for the people who move in. It actually becomes a place that is easily and safely accessible by a much wider community than would currently use th- 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 that space. And that's I mean, why, presumably, the why you're, the, you're grounding it around the sports used. theme. That, I mean, that's a big part of it. That is going to give a lot of people a reason to come there very early in the process. Yeah. But part of the reasons why, I mean, not talking on, as you say, about buildings and those sorts of pledges being more about those other aspects, is that actually uh, increasingly we think that's the challenge for, for us as major developers of big projects and actually for our industry. It is, it is the, you know, the content of our, of our places, it's the experience of, of our customers and people who, who come and visit and spend time there. Um, increasingly we're getting more and more involved in being sort of wider civic partners and yeah. putting, putting actually the brands and the businesses and the operations that populate these places and being part of that, not just building the bricks and mortar as a kind of um, housing for others to come and populate. And how, does that, how has that worked out given the sorts of capital partners that Argent has had over the years? Because historically, an institutional investor would want to take a, a, a retail mall, a, a big yeah. shared, sign a 15-year lease, get their 5%, come back in a few years, agree a, sure. an extension and, and and spend the rest of the well, time in Mayfair in the pub. I think there's two... <laughs> well, I'm not maybe sure about that. Maybe, I think, maybe, maybe I not. Think, maybe, 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 oh, not sh- maybe not 15-year leases, maybe 12-year yeah. leases. I think, there's two, the rest, I, think I think there's two parts to that. The first is... But about, what you're talking about, Robert, is, is the operationalization of real estate. And, and my, But my question is, how do you then measure the risk? How... How do you sit down with, with a, 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 an institution and say, look, guys, well, it's not just about the building, we, it's about we've, we've proven all this at King's stuff. Cross that all of that stuff that Robert's been talking about has actually created value both in office square foot rents and in the sales price of apartments. It's not – there is a direct correlation between there is a, there is a risk. those two things. There is a risk, but it's, it's also showing the reward. It's showing over time how this – creates additional value in the place and both in terms of you know perception of people but also the results in terms of as you say rents and 
And, uh, Do you think that's something that the wider industry is now catching up with? I think to a certain extent, yeah. But I think when you have these bigger projects, you, you clearly have a bigger canvas to to, to play on. And um, so we're you know, and actually this is a this is a stretch that's happening all the time. And Brent Cross will stretch it further. And I think our conclusion is that we should be going with it and accelerating. That's mm. our that's really where we're coming from. Because whether it's thinking about like we have at King's Cross, setting up an ESCO and running an energy business, which I never thought we'd end up doing. Uh, but that's become key, really, to how we um, get to carbon neutrality and then net zero on, mm. on, on King's Cross. And we'll do um, you know, a strategy, as Nick mentioned, at Brent Cross Town, or whether it's running the primary school at King's Cross, which, which we do. I, I happen to be chair of governors of the King's Cross Academy. We not just built the school, but we, we run the school. And that gives us a completely different window into the community and all the sort of social issues that Nick referred to and how we can best help people uh, and make, make King's Cross socially relevant to, to neighbourhoods and communities, or whether it's... it's- Providing the training centres or the other bits. Now, these are still relatively small components of mm. of the overall development, but they're massively important in terms of the relevance of the real estate. You know, in terms of what 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 are you there for? What's your ultimate social purpose in terms of the the place? And if you can make it directly relevant, that confers long term value. And our shareholders, you know, be, if I if you talk to um, you know Chris Taylor at Hermes, or you talk to Paul Clark at Oz Super, they absolutely back this. And they mm. see it as crucial to long term value. And, 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 What's and, interesting and, and, about related, by the mm. way, is that they've actually approached it in another way as well, which is they've actually created. They've invested in some of the brands, whether that's Equinox Hotels or, or Soul Cycle or others. That also are then, you know, in partnering with restaurants. Yeah, partnering with restaurants. So I think this is the big challenge. Well, one of the big challenges for our industry is how do we actually, for us, this is where this will be different from people just knocking up a, sim- a, a single building in a location in the town somewhere. This is where. If you play on the sort of canvas of Brent Cross Town yeah. and King's Cross, you can actually do this and you can, can do it well. Can I also just say, I, I think. 10, 12 years ago, if you were presenting to a bank or an investor or a tenant, an office tenant coming in, you kind of, you kind of doctored the presentation slightly to be suitable to that particular audience. And your narrative was probably slightly different to the investor or the, the, the <laughs> bank than it would have been to an incoming tenant. Actually, now that narrative is it's pretty much the, the same. same. Yeah. It's the same. And the things that are now important are becoming just generalized across all aspects of our industry, which I think is really good. I think that's great because we're now in a position where, you know, Robert's just mentioned two investors, but most major international investors will want to hear a really, really powerful ESG story and a genuine one, not just a well, that's it. Making and that's the one. difference. So it's having the data and, and having some crystallized value rather absolutely. than a bunch of pledges and a bunch of. Having a track record, having a real business. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if we take the next points are really good ones. If you take, for example, the, the energy business at King's Cross, you know, we never thought we'd end up really getting into it as deep as we have. Um, so, this is a district energy system. Yeah, so we, 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 we own, um, we set up, and uh, there's an energy, uh, there's an energy center that's owned by a, an ESCO. We, we own it in partnership with Metropolitan and we, we run the energy business at, at King's Cross providing, you know, hot water and heating and, and generating electricity through CHP and all that sort of good stuff. I mean, this is um, something that a lot of real estate people really don't understand. I mean, I've heard of, I'm not going to name the company, but one of the big, big firms yeah, recently sold off uh, energy uh, 
element of its of its uh, portfolio and, well, and, and probably made a this bit is of an the point. There. Next point about how you package things. I think a few years ago, whether it's ten or whatever, you would have possibly persuaded people to get into this, showing them that you could exit, showing them that ultimately there might be a sale mm. where you can exit this and capitalize it and either wash its face or make some money. Now. This is core business. This is actually one of the reasons why you know you want to hold on to it because it's core to achieving yeah. your sustainability and net zero ambition. So um, you might have had to package it to show how you could sell it, but now you won't. So was, so this, that, was this, for, change, was this was this foresight or good or good fortune? Well, you know, um, bit of both maybe. But um, that's fine. You make your own luck. I think I think it's about seeing where things are going and then yeah. doubling down and i think that's what we're doing i mean look, look, i mean energy brings us on then to sustainability um nick you talked about that in relation to brent cross town what are going to be some of the ways you're going to achieve this because again to your point on on having the actual facts to back stuff up the track records back stuff up and the data to back stuff up there's a lot of people in real estate that just want to change a few light bulbs and, and call something net zero right yeah well i mean i guess the first thing to say is that the industry's been aiming at the wrong target for a long time because we've all been focused on operational carbon which is about 15 percent at max of yeah. the pie yeah and um uh, embedded carbon of course is more like 60 percent of of the pie um, and that's, you know, we will ad- uh, focus our attention in both areas. So, you know, we, as we've already talked about the, you know, the, um, the energy centers and things at King's Crossville, we've got, um, we've got, uh, heat pumps, uh, the, the largest heat pump in Europe going into, uh, Brent Cross with our energy center. We've appointed Battenfall, who are owned by the Swedish government, one of the most um, forward-thinking energy services company in the world. Mm. They've got a, a concession agreement at King's Cro- uh, at Brent Cross. Um, so we're confident that we can put together a really powerful story around and and operation around how we how the place functions mm. from a from a heating and cooling and energy perspective. What, what about but, how but the challenge is car is, is embodied carbon. Embodied carbon. It's yeah. embodied carbon, and so that's where you have to start looking at. Are you Firstly, looking at MMC? Tim, we're looking at timber construction. Yeah. So we're looking at timber construction in our office buildings. Um, and, and this has been one of the big bugbears, hasn't it, since particularly post-Grenfell, where this, we've had this knee-jerk reaction from, from UK regulators against timber. I mean, I was talking about, I said specifically office buildings there, and we are focused on that. I think there is a very, very significant challenge to consider timber in, in housing right now. Um, they do it across North America, across yes, many many yes, cities that yes, sit they on do. fault lines. Um, um, they do, but we 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 we're looking at, at, at that. But we're also mm. looking at um, how do we, generally how do you reduce the carbon in the materials that we are focused on? Timber, uh, uh, concrete, and steel are obviously the ones that you focus on first. Yeah. Um, how do you get low carbon concrete? How do you get recycled steel? But MMC is an important part of it as well because you want to reduce waste. So there's a combination of all of these things, which, and that, you know, the, the industry is moving quite quickly. For the first time in a long time, the industry is actually moving quite quickly because I think everybody now recognizes that this is not a nice to have. Mm. This well, is something exactly. that actually, actually has to happen. So the first time, I don't know, for the, probably the last 20 years where we've been talking about this, I actually see an acceleration of change. And who, and who do you see as being good on the MMC side? We had, we had Mark Allen from Landsec talking about how they're using. DFMA on, on one of their new buildings. We had Man Group, uh, Ilka Homes on a, on a few weeks back on talking about single family housing. 
as you say, Nick, MMC is a fantastic way to reduce construction waste, to, to make your program much more certain in terms of delivery timing and, and cost control. Are you worried that it would, I guess, undermine the design ambitions that Argent's always been associated with? You've always been associated with designing really cool buildings, and, and that, that is that. You know, that's, that's the difference of walking around King's Cross I don't, versus I don't, I don't walking around somewhere like that. I don't well, no, think that's an either-or situation no, You have to at have all. both. You have to have both. You've, I mean, you've got to make both work. You mentioned DFMA. We're, we're, we're working with... Well, design for manufacturing and assembly. Sorry, I hate using yeah. jargon. Well, we're working with Langer Rock at the moment, for example, on uh, a building going up at the moment called, mm. called Cadence at King's Cross, a residential building. That's using Langer Rock's own DFMA system. There are, there are quite a few different systems out there, some of them quite proprietary, which is perhaps, you know, part of the, part of the issue. But, you know, we're, we're feeling our way on this to a certain extent. Mm. Um, Nick's absolutely right. It is part of the part of the picture but you know as i say we're, we're doing it at the moment on that particular project we will look at it very much as part of our strategy for st pancras hospital which we'll be doing uh, next in relation to uh, uh, king's cross and uh, it'll have to be a big part of that in the same way as it will be a big part of uh, brent cross town so um let, let, yeah. let's let's talk about that so st pancras hospital that that's that's a five acre site next to king's cross yeah, well, there's a canal in between, but um, but uh, yeah, absolutely next door, and it's been a opportunity for a long time. Ever since we started on King's Cross, it's been sitting there as an opportunity. It's finally come to fruition. There was a public procurement a little while ago, which we were very fortunate enough to to, to win, and uh, you know, we're hugely excited about doing actually doing something a little bit different, and perhaps moving mm. on these points, you know, moving moving forward on these agendas that we've been talking about at St Pancras. So you're, you're planning on that with, with Australian Super. So what? What is the broad? Well, it's the same. It's the same. It's King's Cross, which is uh, the develop, you know, the uh, the entity. So it's mm. the same group of investors and yeah. and ourselves that are doing uh, doing the project. Yeah. Uh, and what what is the plan for that? Because one of the other trends that we've been seeing a lot, we've we've published a big research piece on this recently, is around life sciences and the lack of lab space, yeah. particularly around King's Cross, Cambridge, Oxford, which are the the, the chosen triangle hubs. Yeah. Um, apparently, scientists don't so, want so to go. So, part any. of the site, as I, you know, as we were, just, as you know, is part of the site is earmarked for Project Oriel, which is um, this amazing new. Uh, it's a revamp of Moorfields Eye Hospital. Moorfields Eye Hospital, UCLH, and other facilities mm. coming under one roof um, as a sort of centre of excellence, and um, and then the remainder of the site will be developed by by us. And you're absolutely right that this we absolutely see this site as being a core site within the within the knowledge quarter. Um, and the emphasis of the knowledge quarter, uh, an employment-led site, uh, with 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 housing too. It'll be it'll be mixed use, but we absolutely see it as being about meeting the needs of the knowledge quarter and and the knowledge industries in in that area. And um, yeah, it's, it's an opportunity to to move things on and and do things you know a little bit a little bit differently mm. and um, to you know do something um, that, that uh, further enhances King's Cross and mm. that area. Uh, and that, that sort London. of use would actually support rented housing really well, wouldn't it? Because if you've got yeah, scientists that, that are running projects that obviously tend to, to run uh, odd hours, and you don't just run a science project <laughs> nine to five and get back and home for time for neighbours, do you? But you tend to, be, tend to be through the night. So actually having live workspaces that, that you can get super smart people to come and you know, do the project, pop down at 3am when... Um, when whatever they're brewing has finished, mm. um, potentially. Yeah, <laughs> uh, 
potentially creates an interesting dynamic yeah, of the place. We, are, we will absolutely look at rental housing there, and that may also allow us to look at perhaps how we provide an affordable rented offer as well as part of our affordable housing solution, which obviously we'll need to, we'll need to have. So absolutely, we're, we'll look at It's very early days, but we'll absolutely be looking at rental as a company. And hopefully learning that lesson as I, from King's Cross, where we, we didn't manage to incorporate rental housing in the early in the early phases, and we're mm. only coming to that now, and uh, that's a, a lesson we are keen to, it, it, to it's, learn. It, it, that is also a relevant point for Brent Cross, of course, because Brent Cross is literally twelve minutes on the Thames Link from St Pancras to the new Brent Cross West railway station we're creating. So, actually, in terms of rental homes and places to live that are easily connect, connected back into yeah. that knowledge quarter, Kings Cross, and all the rest of it, actually, it's going to be a really convenient place to get back in, into and, and out from. But it's also so um, essentially a hub we, and spoke model where you've got the centre of. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just going to be an easy place to live and rent. We're going to be building a lot of rental homes there. It's going to be an easy place uh, to, to to live with all the amenities we're talking about and get into and out of of Kings Cross. But it's also because um, we're also going to be building three million square feet of office space, new office space at Brent Cross. So there mm. is opportunity there um, that's kind of linked between that knowledge quarter that is the Euston King's Cross down to Tech City type north that, that that north of central London band of knowledge and tech and the link into Oxford and Cambridge to the north and we kind of sit there spanning the two. Mm. So, it so could we be have quite an opportunity interesting to talk to scope these. for some different uses out in Brain Cross is what absolutely, you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah and then that's that's also going to be that's, that's going to be really fascinating because clearly there's only a certain amount of space that exists around King's Cross to build this stuff. Yeah. I'd be rather remiss if we didn't talk about the future of work. Again, many people much smarter than me have, have had much more insightful things to say. So I don't want to dwell on it too much. But given the fact that you're building three million square foot of offices, um, I, I should really ask you about that and how both you guys as as business owners um, and, and and managing partners, but also as developers, are are seeing this play out um, in some respects you're probably quite lucky in that the offices that you guys have, um, certainly at King's Cross, are, are going to be among the top strata, the, the ones that are going to be best in class largely. The, the, yeah. You know, those are the offices that people actually want to come back to, right? Well, at the moment and, we and are when seeing... We had, we had Simon Durkin from BlackRock on, on PropCast a couple of months back, and what he talked about uh, emerging as the head of research for, for BlackRock in Europe. He, his view was that we would see a super prime strata of offices emerging from the pandemic that that exist as as those places that people want to go. Like you like have us HQ you've got a King's Cross. These these you know these once in a generation developments that that really bring people back. Is that yeah. is that just hyperbole no, or, or I, do you think it's got a stretch no, of reality? Is, there is there is evidence. I mean we're certainly seeing a, a flight to quality and that and, and king's cross is 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 part of that part of that flight people are coalescing into king's cross in in some cases and i i think that's partly about the rail connectedness of, of the project and the ability to access the railway stations directly and um, a lot of perhaps staff at the more height of the pandemic were keen to you know minimize the number of uh, legs of their journey and that's mm. uh, that that played out um, but probably also, I think probably because they're sick of their kids as well. <laughs> but also, I think because if you have, you know, a, a, an estate, one can actually think about, you know, how you promote 
uh, walking and cycling and accommodate the cycle facilities and do all those things that perhaps it's harder to do if you're just promoting a single mm. a single building somewhere. And uh, somebody we both um, know in real estate um, said to us that, um, you know, the future is going to be buildings that have lungs and by which he was referring to sort of fresh air and and uh space outside your front door and that feeling of being part of space and water and light and air and uh you know a planned estate like king's cross um really scores you know, in that in that regard so we are certainly seeing um uh you know a flight to, to, to quality in mm. that respect but i think that's only part of the trends that are, are going on there's also i think a sort of trend towards actually towards place and thinking about what's around you and thinking about um what do you want to need what sort of what sort of um community do you want to be part of mm. and that's i think actually going to play out in favor of mm. places like brent cross town as well, well. What, what do, i mean but the question that people are going to want to ask is is what are you going to do differently with the offices at brent cross town that you wouldn't have done 18 months ago well actually not a lot <laughs> to be to be honest and that is because whether through foresight or luck or, or whatever we were already very very focused on the fundamentals of a great place for the offices to be, so all of the amenities around it, mm. a great sustainability story in terms of the carbon uh, footprint of the building. Um, and I guess the, the, and the, and the beauty things, of that sort of place is that you, 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 you don't, you're not forced into creating something super dense because no, because you've got the same... I mean, and it's, this is not going to be a business park. You know, you know, if, if there's a perception that because it's kind of outside of central London, somehow it's just a business park with all that kind of stuff. A business park. It's, it's there's, absolutely there's... not going to be a business park. We, I mean, did, do, thing, we did do some of the Thames Valley, but that was a while ago. It was a long time ago. The, the other thing I would just say, you know, just about, yeah, we'll, you know, the we'll, future we'll work. We'll off the tape, don't worry. <laughs> the future work thing is... Scrub them out of history. Um, the, the boot is on the employee's foot right now. Okay, so the employee, the talent, you know, the whole war for talent that people have been talking about for, for years mm. and years and years, that has that is actually getting more intense. Everybody, you know, we've been talking to corporates, um, large-scale business for the last year about Brent Cross, probably spoken to 30, 40-odd different businesses. Yeah. They're all saying to us, we need a different kind of narrative now to attract the right people to come to be. And what is that narrative? That narrative is essentially an ESG narrative. It's essentially about your health and well-being, i.e. we don't need you here five days a week necessarily. It will depend upon your job. We know that as a business, we're going to have to be flexible. Mm. But in order to get people to come there, we've got to have an office that's easy to get to on public transport. It's got to be in a place where there's other things going on, a place where people kind of feel proud to bring friends and family, not a place they just come to and leave. And they want to know that it is from an environmental perspective, from a sort of social inclusion perspective, it's doing things and in a place that's actually got some kind of purpose well, and making a difference. Good. It's doing good. Yeah, they want to know that they're going to be associated with that. And I, you know, one of the things that we are frankly doing is we are providing answers to a lot of those businesses to give to their staff who are asking these very, very appropriate and challenging questions. And those are the same questions that our existing occupiers in places like King's Cross ask now. And, uh, and you know, that's all part of having to up our game as a place. I think, you know, Nick's absolutely right. The, the, the pressure will be on the offer. The offer will have to be really good mm. to attract people in into central London, yes, but also to other locations. People will make a judgment about 
um, how they spend their time. People will, you know, people won't have to go in in the future. The, the trick is to make them want to come in and spend time there because the offer will have to be really good. So mm. it, it really is going to mean that we all have to up our game. And I think that these bigger estates, if you like, these, these larger locations have an advantage in that respect. Yeah. The, and, good new, the good news is that there are a lot of businesses out there who've still got to make really important strategic decisions over the next few months or oh, sorry, no, next few years around the future of their business, where they're going to be located. They've got lease events. They've got other events coming along in, you know, a lot of them actually are still growing. You talk to anybody in the tech business. Wow. It's quite extraordinary, you know, th- their growth story. So I think there is, you know, albeit there are challenges. So ahead. Could we see a, a mini Google campus of Brand Cross? <laughs> I, I couldn't possibly forecast Does that, that one way or the other. But so, so you haven't it, denied it. Nick so hasn't <laughs> denied that Google are in talks for a mini campus no, of Brand Cross. No, I have denied that. I have absolutely denied okay. that. Um, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're, t- we're talking, Didn't as I say, 30, 40 different organizations. Um, and I, 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 think, I think somebody of great significance will come there at some point over the next well, absolutely. couple of I mean, years. Look at the sorts of things that, that have been built in the, Boss in the States. Consulting, maybe? Bostock Consulting could be our could first be our tenant. Could be our flagship anchor yeah. tenant. Well, uh, I, I, our people will speak to your people. We'll crunch, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll crunch them. Now, we like to do these things direct, actually, Andrew. So. Um, yeah, well, on no, air, generally. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, on tape, on record. Look, let, let, let's, let's finish up on the subject of stewardship because – you were talking, Robert, about the lungs of buildings, which is an yeah. interesting analogy um, that some people might be comfortable with, some people less so. Um, I mean, we're in a really old Bedford Estates listed building, so luckily we've got windows that open. But I, I remember, I remember fighting with the building management people in my years at Heathrow just to get the blinds pulled down. This was, this was like a military operation. You'd have to phone someone, you'd phone someone, you'd phone someone, you'd phone up some government department to close the bloody blinds, and the God forbid you wanted to open the windows. And that's something I think a lot of people in big corporate offices probably fight with every day. Um, so this sense of, of of having control over place, whether it's about air quality, heating, environment, yeah. biodiversity, these are all quite key physical things that, that can be easily measured. But there, there are there are other things that you've described that, that can't, can't quite they are more intangible. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you I can mean, measure, am I too hot? Have, yeah. Is there, you know... There is the whole build, there is the sort of hygiene of building management and property management and estate management, doing all those things well. Mm. But, but stewardship the, goes beyond that. And that's, absolutely. That's, I mean, part of this is about giving the place a real personality so that people have pride in it and want to be part of it and want to spend time there and all the things that Nick was, was talking about. But it's and how, do you, that, how do you transfer that? ESG that? story. Sorry, but, that ESG story about people wanting to know that the place is doing good is actually a, a positive member of society and those things are increasingly i think important and resonant to people and how does that get transferred so again if i'm looking at argent and i'm a local authority i'm an nhs trust and yeah. let's be honest that the, the people with most of the land that's that's really developed up across the country are, are many of the nhs trusts um you know, such as the, the guys that you're working with and other people that we've had on recently Bruntwood and their work in the northwest with, with NHS up there what are some of the opportunities and, and what are some of the transferable disciplines that that you'll be able to bring across from your work at King's Cross from the planning you've done at Brent Crosstown how and how would those things play out in smaller areas well I think um, part of this is about framing partnerships with those pe- people and it's uh, very often they want to 
to, to stay in, in in some respect. They want to be part of the, the journey. Mm. It's often a conversation about how much risk do they want to partake in and, and which elements of risk and how you bring your respective skills together. And I think I mean, most of our bigger projects have been a partnership in, in, in some way between you know, the skills and the money and the land. And, yeah. um, and it's about really explaining um, you know, our contribution to that and uh, how with a longer term focus, if you, if you really are focused on this, it's not a year one story. It's not about PC. It's not about a year later. It's about you know, a longer-term approach to actually creating and, and building and holding value. And, mm. that, and that presumably works well with those sorts of partners who, let's face it, what they need is some money, let's be frank. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this comes back to creating value. And what I think we now have is a track record of showing how these mm. things create and sustain value. You can talk about, you know, rents, you can talk about sales values, you can talk about yields and measure it in lots of different ways. You can also measure it in terms of, um, people's perception. We've done a, a brand tracker, we call it, a perce- you know, a perception study every year on King's Cross for, I can't remember how many more years Ten now, years. But, but actually that is real evidence about how people's perception of the place is shifting and changing. And you can see that having real beneficial impact. Ultimately, what customers think of the place will, the, the, is the really important. The flourishing index at yeah. Brand Cross will do a, a similar thing and take it a step further. Uh, we, we need to persuade these people with land. That's really important and ultimately will create more value for them. So rather than just selling to the highest bidder or and then hoping it's good, actually be part of making it good and sharing the value of making it good. And that that's something we're constantly fighting the good fight on, which is actually to try and persuade people to create those kind of effective long-term partnerships. The other, the other thing about the partnerships, about stewardship, is that as a developer, you've actually got to be prepared to be the steward from the back seat and not the front seat. Okay, nobody actually wants to come to a place that belongs to a developer. They want to come to a place that belongs to them. You, you won't see Argent's name anywhere on, on King's Cross. You, you know, you might see it well, on... You'll see it on the front of our office, but that's about yeah, it. that's about it. So where our office is, but you won't see Argent's name anywhere. And that's a really conscious decision about, you know, within the industry, people clearly know that Argent is re- responsible there. But as a member of the public, you're not going to see that. And a lot of developers, developers... Well, this is why like when, when to, people spend heaps of money they, hiring they like expensive put, agencies to name a building, and it's like, well, we're just going to call it the Grace because that's what it looks like. Yeah, well, there is, that, that, there is kind of that. But it's just, it is always very, very tempting to want to kind of put your brand everywhere and tell everybody what, what you did. And of course, no member of the public wants to be in a developer's backyard. They want to be in a great neighbourhood in London, and they want to feel it belongs to them. It's quite hard to do, but you have to do it. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, so the brand, I mean, the brand, if you like to use that word, is, is at King's Cross, is King's Cross. Um, and it's a eclectic place. And, um, and we obviously have a, a large bearing on what happens there, but so do actually many other people. There's lots of many hands make King's Cross, and that's really what Nick's describing. I think it's always quite, it's, it's always, we, we, we experience it quite a lot now. You know, both of us over, what, 10 years ago or over the last 10 years have spent hours and hours and hours touring around King's Cross, showing people around and talking them through and the rest of it. And now we watch people who we've never met doing tours and explaining what happened at King's Cross and how this came about and all the rest mm. of it. And we kind of... Some, and sometimes, some, sometimes, sometimes it's, they're true. <laughs> sometimes it's true. And, it's, and it, what is wonderful about that is, is you know, sometimes, you know, you do hear things and you think that's just so wrong. But anyway... Uh, you, we've created ambassadors. We've created people who 
have got some kind of emotional, personal connection to the place that they now want to bring friends and family up and start telling them stories that they've probably heard from somebody else. Mm. And that is that storytelling and that emotional connection that you've created over years is extraordinarily powerful as it grows the network of people who want to come and visit. Well, look, let's leave it there. Thank you so much to Robert Evans and to Nick Self for some amazing insights and great analysis. And, and it's been an absolute pleasure to have you both here. Brilliant, brilliant double act that you guys have done. Um, do, uh, do, do stay in touch. Please do subscribe to PropCast on Apple, on Spotify. Please stay uh, logged in to propertyweek.com for the latest news. I've been Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. This podcast has been engineered by Alex Peel, been produced by Howard Martin. Thank you for listening and we'll see you again soon.